0: So we're in week three of Thread Letters, a series going through a very powerful opportunity for you to develop your prayer life. And I started a couple weeks ago with this statement, and it's a pretty bold statement. It could be even controversial to you, but it's the truth. Prayer is the key to everything you should do and be. You will not become who God is calling you to become. You will not understand the God of the universe. You cannot access the strength of that same God without prayer. Prayer helps change you because it gives the searchlight to God's hand. And with a large searchlight, he searches your inmost being. He searches your heart through prayer. And you say, search my thoughts, search my heart, see if there's any anxious way about me. Prayer is the key to everything you should do and be. The disciples, as they followed Jesus, they they saw him do so many things, but the one thing they asked him to show them how to do was not, how do you walk on water? How do you raise the dead? How do you feed thousands with a to-go box from Red Lobster? How do you do that? Instead, it was simply, Lord, we've seen you teach us to pray. And Jesus' response to the disciples on how to pray is what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer, uh, tucked away in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, uh, it it is a power, almost like the entire doctrine of the Bible pressed down, shaken together into one powerful prayer and has been our custom over these last couple of weeks. We're gonna do it again. We're gonna pray it out loud, all locations, even online. Here we go. Are you ready? Let's say it out loud. Let's go, guys. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, there is power in that prayer. In fact, we said it a couple weeks ago, every phrase is a thread, That connects and compresses the fabric of biblical doctrine into one prayer. You can't really know the power of this prayer. In fact, you can quote that, "Our Father, like you know, now lay me down to sleep." You know, sold. Like like you can do you can do that, and there be no power. You can memorize this and pray it a hundred times a day, and there be no power in it unless you understand the purpose behind these phrases unless you understand the God of this prayer, the father of this prayer. The whole trajectory is is measured by those first two words, our father, that you have personal relationship. Then, hallowed be thy name. Not only is he father, but he's almighty God, and he's not just useful to you. He is beautiful to you. Don't see him as useful. See him as beautiful. And today, we come to the third phrase, thy kingdom Come. Thy kingdom come. See, it's one thing just to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It's another thing to understand the power of His kingdom. What, is kingdom? what it is and what it isn't, where you find it, how you access it, and how you pray it. And that's really what we're going to do today. What it is and what it isn't, how you access it, and how do you pray, Thy kingdom come every day. So, Let's start with what it is. What it is, what it is. And here's what it is. What is the kingdom? How do you identify it? How can you locate it? How do you know if you're living in the kingdom or not? What it is, write it down. It is any place where Jesus is king. His kingdom is wherever Jesus is king. So, is Jesus the king of your life? Are you living in the kingdom of God? If you investigate the throne room of your heart and there on the throne is me, myself, and I, you are not living in the kingdom. Your home, whether it's the kingdom, whether your home is being built in the kingdom of God or not, is dependent upon whether Jesus is king, not whether you go to church or not. Not whether you say, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Living in the kingdom is determined on whether or not Jesus is king in that place. Now, this is hard as Americans living in 2020 because we don't get kings. We don't understand kings. And really, the closest we have to a king isn't even close to having a king because we elect a president, Okay? We elect, it's just, you're gonna be in that office to do what we want you to do. That's how we look at governmental authority. But a king, it's his ruler. It's his rule, it's his government, it's his administration, it's his authority, it's his say or the high way. We don't get kings, but here, let me tell you what we do understand, especially in good old East Texas, all right? We don't get kings, but we do get coaches. We understand the power of a good coach, Jerry. We get it. I didn't say Jesus, I said Jerry. Jerry Jones, anybody, moving on. We don't get kings. We, we do get the power of a good coach. Because look, you can look at any kind of program, college, professional. There's something to be said about the power of coaching. If you have a bad coach, it doesn't matter the kind of talent you have on the field or on the court. A bad coach is gonna bring their rule, their authority, their way of life, their culture, their program, their playbook. And those players are going to play up to the potential of how the coach uh, affects the, the dynamic. That's why you can have one of the most highest paid teams in America have terrible results because they're not playing up to their potential and a huge piece of that has to do with coaching but get the right coach get the right coach and he lays out the program and it's going to be about the coach's business and and i know i i i know that that's how they did it then but this is how we do it now this is what we're doing run the play okay uh, it's on my authority it's my culture that i'm going to show i'm going to bring the culture to this team And what a good coach does is he helps the players play up and even exceed their own potential. Why? Because the same way a horse might be able to pull a few thousand pounds, two horses together in tandem, in lockstep, driven well, all of a sudden two horses instead of one pulling 3,000, two can pull 10,000, why? Because there's power in that team and a good coach pulls out the power beyond their own capacity even. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Wherever Jesus is King, he wants to bring his potential out in you. There's something powerful about the body of Christ empowered by the spirit living beyond our own earthly potential. That's what his kingdom come looks like. And in the scripture we read during worship, there is this, there is this tension. There is this contrast. There is this uh, uh, balance of issue between two kingdoms you and I could live in. In fact, today the whole message is really about a tale of two kingdoms, a tale of two kingdoms. And we're going to decide what what side of the kingdom, which kingdom do we really want to live on? What kingdom is God calling us? to fight for and to die for and to yell at the top of our thumbs on Facebook about. Can I give you a hint? It ain't this kingdom. But we are wrapped up in this kingdom, everybody. We are wrapped up in it. And Jesus doesn't separate the kingdom between Republicans and Democrats. He doesn't separate the kingdom into the haves and the have-nots, although it may sound like that. He doesn't separate the kingdom into good people and not so good people. He doesn't separate the kingdom into a, a certain economic class, but he does separate with these two words that we read earlier. Blessed are you. There is a blessed kingdom and a woe to you. Like, like a woe, wo- like you gotta catch the woe on this. Younger parents understand what I'm saying. Everybody else is like, what? I don't know, go TikTok or something, I guess. Blessed are you, and woe to you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not whoa, but a woe is not like, not, now look at this. Blessed, you would think the opposite. If, if, uh, what would you think the opposite of blessings are? Blessings, and then the opposite is? Curses. Yeah, oh, good, oh, you get a gold star today. Lufkin, I heard you too, Knack, and I see you, and you're looking beautiful today, and some of you are wondering, does he really see us? No, I don't, I'm just saying it. <laughs> Blessed and cursed don't look at this as cursed. It's not the opposite. Okay, it's not cursed are you. It's like God saying it like this. Oh, wounded are you. And I'm, my heart goes out to you. And I grieve for you. Blessed are you. But if you're living in the woe to you kingdom, oh, ugh, you're, you're not living your best life. So let's talk about these two kingdoms. Let's talk about the woe-to-you kingdom, the woe-to-you. And he, he describes this in the book of Luke and also in Matthew. He says, woe to you who are rich and who are well-fed and who laugh. Who laugh, what? Yeah, and, and woe to you when, when you're spoken well of. And my question, which probably should be your question, is this. I can't have these? I can't like, you know, have some wealth and be well fed and laugh. I can't do those things. No, no, that's not what I'm, that's the the wrong question. The question we should ask is not, I can't have these. The question is, do these have me? Do these have me? Because when you're living in the woe kingdom, these are your priorities. These are your priorities. And I wanna say to you before you feel beat up, which it's okay to step on some toes. We're in church and Jesus is a healer. (laughs) If you're living on the right side of the kingdom, on his kingdom come, his will be done. We all have the capacity to live one foot in and one foot out. We do the hokey pokey when it comes to the kingdom of God. But he wants to turn our life around. (laughs) That's so cheesy. (laughs) That's what it's all about. (laughs) that wasn't in first service it should not have been in second Okay. so woe to you when you're living in your your priorities I love Jesus but I put all my hope in these kind of priorities it, it happens and look at this so for those who are rich really what that means what God is saying what Jesus is saying woe to you because that's where all your power comes from he's talking about the dynamic of the rich have the power and the poor do not that's true here Rich have more power, they have the, the money gives them more opportunity to make decisions. I have the power to go on vacation because I have more riches. If, I'm, if I don't have the riches, I can't go on vacation. That's a very simple analogy, but that's where we, and we get power from that, and we're thirsty for power. We want power, we want control. We want the goodness of that. Even since the beginning of the Garden of Eden, we're after the power, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, power. Those who are well-fed, that doesn't just mean eating good, it means material comfort. Many of us, we, we place both feet in how we view the goodness of God based on the power we have and the comfort we have. And if either one of those are challenged, we begin to challenge the goodness of God. God is good all the time because I have a job and I'm being fed. But when I lose my job and I don't know what's next and the credit card is canceled and my, my marriage is on the rocks, my material comfort is gone, my power is gone, how could you do this? To, if God is so good, why is all this crap happening in my life? And that's woe to you. You're relying on the wrong power in the wrong kingdom. Now look at this one. This one's weird because especially at Timber Creek, we love to laugh around here. We love to have a good time around here. Those who laugh, what? You ought not to be laughing, Jesus says, unless you're laughing at how dumb the devil is. (laughs) Only laugh, you know, outside of church. We cry in church. You're more Christian when you say, oh, woe is me. No, no, that's not what it means. Here's what the original language means when, uh, woe to you who laugh. Here's what it means. In the original, woe to you who gloat. So, So basically, you see what you have, and you may not like, totally gloat, but your heart does because you begin to weigh the value of other people, maybe inadvertently or advertently, or you you gloat on, (laughs) yes, I won, I'm it. They didn't get the promotion, I did, yeah. And it has to do with success. Can I tell you that many times, you may be praying for the wrong thing. God, give me that promotion. And you're mad at God because God won't give you that promotion that you think you deserve. But do you know that maybe God's saving you from the wrong kingdom? Because if you got that promotion, it would take you away from your family so much more than you thought, than, than you wanted. It would give you more money, but you would be working three out of four Sundays a month. And you wouldn't have that family time in church. And you say, but I'm successful. And yeah, if you want to build your kingdom on success, then build it on this side. But Jesus would say to you, whoa, whoa to you. Careful, my heart goes out to you because you're you're missing the full body bouquet of what the kingdom of God can really be in your life. Be careful when you're well-spoken of, that's like celebrity or recognition. And when you see these things at play in all of our lives, it even sounds, am I being recorded? Don't, Don't, I am. It sounds like America. Sounds an awful like the American dream. Are you saying we bought not be about the American dream? Are you against the Constitution? No, life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. Get after it, bucko. But, but those things are gonna fade. This kingdom is temporary. We are losing friends and losing influence because of what the next 48 months might look, whether it be blue or red. Some people are selling their soul to the American dream. And Jesus says, woe to you. Woe. If this is all you're after, it may be what you get, but it will not satisfy you long term. Do you see that when you coach your own life and you determine that the values of your life are gonna be the power and the comfort and the success and the recognition, that automatically shifts your trajectory to make, to make everything before those things work towards those things. You know how God works everything together for the good of those that put their trust in him? We tend to work everything for the good of whatever our kingdom on this side of heaven we want it to look like. So who you hang with and where you live and who you date and how you spend your time and where you find your value, if you're not careful, if you're living in the wrong kingdom, you may not even know it, but you are on a trajectory to try and find these things. And even though these things may feed you for a moment, they are fleeing and they're not lasting. And Jesus himself says, whoa, whoa. And so if that's the way that we all can kind of, if that's the way, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, we like it, what, what what does blessed are you look like? What does, the, what does the real blessed kingdom of God, what should it look like? And he gives us this list and it's like, huh? What? Jesus, what you doing? Jesus, you, you, did you turn the water into wine again, Jesus? What you doing, Jesus? Because when Jesus says, blessed are you, you would be writing different things down than what we read in Luke. Because here's what he says. Blessed are you who are poor and who are hungry and thirsty and who weep now. And when people hate you, it's like, "Mm, mm, 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 party. (laughs) Who wants those things? Who wants to live in the middle of poverty and hunger and thirst and weeping and grieving and being excluded? Everybody wants a friend. Nobody wants to sit around and cry all day. People want their needs taken care of. And he says, blessed are those? Well, this is why you and I need to read the word of God. This is why we need to understand what Jesus is really meaning. And and when you read the whole book, when you understand the depth of the story of God, you know, he's not trying to just make you be sad all the time, but he's also not trying to just make you happy all the time either. See, some of you think God just wants you happy. Can I tell you? He wants you holy because it's when you see his holiness and you know, I can't even be holy in my own, but he is holy because he is holy, I am holy. And I understand my position as a son or daughter of the king. And I say, our father, and he's beautiful. He's not just useful. When I get to thy kingdom come, I'm understanding my position and I'm able to say, he doesn't just want me happy, he wants me holy. And if I'm okay with holiness and I'm okay with following his way and his rule and his moral compass for my life, that is joy, that is happiness, that, that, that is wholeness. But we also understand that when we read the full gospel, we, we see even in the book of Matthew, we see the same, the same list. It's called the Beatitudes. These blessed are those, woe to you. The blessed, the, those are called the beatitudes. It's like your B-attitude. Or as someone said in the lobby between services, I heard my youth pastor say it like this, be at it, dude. <laughs> I was like, that's going in the second service. Like blessed, blessed are you, be at it, dude. So what does this mean? Well, in Matthew, he gives us a couple of uh, qualifying words that makes us understand this isn't a physical place. Okay, this isn't a physical. God doesn't want you just to not have things and you're only really holy if you never have a nice house or if you never drive a nice car. Look, have those things. Don't let those things have you. Don't let those things. I start having to have those things. Guess what? I'm going into the wrong kingdom. I'm sliding in to the kingdom (laughs) who are poor in spirit, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It gives us the spiritual piece of what this means. He's saying, if you're poor in spirit, if you hunger and thirst for the right things, if you are weeping now, understanding the kingdom of God and weeping and understanding what it does because of the son of man, not people just hating you because you're a jerk. Listen, some people hate you because you are, you're just a jerk. It's not because you're you know, living the beatitudes. It's because you're an idiot. And of course people hate you because you're a jerk to everybody you meet. Now I'm so glad you're in this church we're we're just, gonna, we're just gonna love that hate out of you. We're gonna help you take some next steps and discover your God-given potential. But some of you are hated because you're hateful, because you are a jerk. And it's time to change that, okay? So it's like, oh, blessed are those who hate you. No, you're not getting it. <laughs> you're not getting it. Blessed are those who hate you in my name because of me. So you living for God and people despise you because you, you have all that peace and all that joy and all that thanksgiving and and, and they, they don't like it. And they don't, they don't like that you don't party with them anymore like you used to. And you, you're just you goody two shoes. And you, what, what, you think you're better than me? You think you're better than us, huh? And they'll hate you because of the son of man in your life. So let's break these down. Who are poor in spirit? Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. What does it mean to be, we know what it means to be poor. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it means, it means you know that truly in your impoverished state spiritually, you can't pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. Now, I know that in the American way, we'll see somebody holding onto a cardboard sign at, a, at an intersection. And for some of us, you say, if they would just spend their time looking for a job instead of holding that stupid board, then maybe they'd be okay. Do you know what that is? Just hear me. That is you being middle class in spirit. That's you being middle class in spirit. And we do that. We do that with Jesus. We say, I'm a pretty good person. Why wouldn't Jesus bless me? Why is this bad thing happening? I pray, I go to church. That's being middle class in spirit. I've done all these things for God. Isn't he gonna recognize that? that's middle-class in spirit and blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, there's nothing I could do to earn the goodness of God in my life. Okay. Write it down this way. You have to be spiritually poor to even receive salvation. You don't really know what salvation is until you become poor. It is our poor in spirit state of being that says, I need a savior because I, I can't be the king of my throne. I can't be the king of my life. I I, I don't wanna be in control. And that is what it feels like and means to be poor in spirit. I trust your kingdom come, not my kingdom come. And do you know that when we're poor in spirit, we receive help. When you're middle class in spirit, I don't need help. I'm good, I've got it, I've gotta take. No, 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 I don't need no handout. But when you're really truly poor in spirit, you'll take it and you're grateful for it. As a matter of fact, you know it's crazy many times? Those that are truly poor tend to be some of the most generous people. It's true. It's true. They get something handed to them. Many times they will give it to others too. They know what it's like to need help. And Jesus is saying, Woe to you who have got it all figured out, and you're just a big old boy, and you're just a smart girl who's got your degree. He's saying, Blessed are those who are poor. I need Jesus. And without him, I'm impoverished. I don't know what to do. And he's the king of a kingdom that will bless you and help you no matter where you are. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, the word righteousness is used in different ways throughout the Bible. Righteousness can mean right living, Righteous living, right living. But there's another, there's another definition of righteous. In fact, it's used in these Beatitudes and it's a different word that means something completely different. And it's, and it's this word, Zedaka. And, I'll, and you cannot say it without saying it like that. You can't say it like mm, mm, Zedaka. You have to say Zedaka, okay? Kind of like Mufasa, but Zedaka. All right, so everybody on the count of three. One, two, three. (laughs) Ah, yeah. (laughs) Let's pray. No, okay, okay, yeah. You get it. It's like blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Zadaka. And do you know what the word Zadaka means? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for generosity. (laughs) What? You... That can't be that can't be right. Because if you're hungry and thirsty, it means that you're looking for something from some body because you have this internal need to be fed or to get a drink and you just need my lips are just parched and I've got to have that drink and I need you to give me something but he says blessed are those who hunger and thirst to Give it away. (laughs) Jesus is crazy. He's crazy. What kind of God says it's about giving it away. That's how you get your hunger and your thirst met. What, but it's so true. It's so true. The power of this kingdom is you and I are the body of Christ. And when we situate ourselves poor in spirit, we see the needs of others. We're able to then be conduit, to be the hands and feet. Jesus says, you don't even know me. You say, Lord, Lord, you don't know me. What do you mean? Lord, we don't know you, Lord, Lord. What do you mean? He says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat and I was thirsty and you gave me a drink and I was in prison and you visited me. That's sedaka. That's generosity, blessed are you who are generous. Now, now watch, you know people get funny when you talk about money in the church. People get funny when you talk about money. I can talk about all kinds of things. People get more funny when you're talking about money. Than I knew this church was all about my money. It's crazy. Can I just say to you, number one, that's a middle class and spirit heart. Church just wants my money yeah, no, not even close. Home Depot wants your money. And I, and I say this as a disclaimer, my salary doesn't go up or down whether the offering is good or not. Like I have no, there's no like hidden a, a agenda here. Okay, like I am well taken care of by a group of men who use a national average to set my salary. I don't set it, they set it and they're very generous to my wife and I. They're very generous to my wife. She keeps most of it anyway. <laughs> but you gotta be careful because when you think the church is just out for my money, can I just tell you, whoa, whoa. You're, you're. That's living in this kingdom because it's my money, it's my power, it's my recognition, it's my stuff. But living in his kingdom says, Everything I have is yours and I am a conduit. And the the more it is blessed to give than to receive. And I just know you, I've never seen, David says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Do you know what that word righteous means there? I've never seen, Zadaka! I've never seen the generous forsaken. Because as you live in that kingdom and you know it's all his, That's a heart he can work with. And let me add this one other thing. Jesus, when he's feeding the 5,000, they're all hungry. His disciples are hungry. They're tired. Jesus is tired and and, and he sees them and he has compassion on them because Jesus is living in this kingdom (laughs) because he's the king. And he says, let's give these guys something to eat. And the disciples, they're living in this kingdom. And they're like, where are we gonna get the money to feed it? It's Sunday, Chick-fil-A's closed, Jesus. And he's like, you give him something to eat. And they're like, we don't got anything to give him. And he's like, find whatever you got. And they find a little boy with some long john silvers. They put it in his hands and Jesus blesses it. And everybody's fed a meal except for 12. They're not fed a meal. They're given a basketful. Why? Because he's showing them that's what it's like to live in my kingdom. I got basketfuls for you. See, so blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see and respond to the needs of others. There is not a political party. There is not a policy. There is not an entitlement. There is not a program that's gonna rid this earth of poverty. Jesus said the poor will always be here. Why? Because some are poor because of circumstances that they have been into, and others are poor because they have done it to themselves, And until we understand this whole kingdom mentality, there are going to be people that struggle and the church ain't going away. Why? Not because we're all good old church, bless God, but because Jesus promised I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So what's the church supposed to do? The church is supposed to be blessed with poor in spirit so that we we don't stay on our high horse thinking everything's okay for just me three and let us be, but that we would see and respond to the needs of others. Because you'll never lock eyes with someone who doesn't deeply matter to God, whether they put themselves there or not. And you're trying to trust the red or the blue to take care of all those things. Do you know that there is not enough money in the world for all the greed but it's his kingdom. And if we live in his kingdom, there is plenty for the need. If we live with greed, we'll always have need. But if we live in his kingdom, there'll be enough for the needs because he's never seen a righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. I'm, I'm preaching good today. I don't care what y'all say. No, no, stop! No, don't, don't stop! Don't, don't stop! Don't stop! Don't stop! No, get (laughs) it. You may not get anything out of this message. I'm getting a lot off my chest today. Okay. (laughs) Blessed are you who weep now. What? I thought getting into the kingdom of God was like all slow motion Julie Andrews runs like in the Sound of Music through daisies and buttercups. But you're going to cry, and you're going to hurt, and you're going to be wounded, and you're going to suffer. And things are gonna be hard for you. The truth is, even when you live in this kingdom, because it's not a perfect kingdom, there's coming a time. There will be a day. But it's not today. I mean, there there is gonna be a day where even the decay of creation stops. And a new heaven and a new earth unfolds. There will be no crying and there will be no sorrow and there'll be no pain and there'll be no turmoil and there'll be reunion after reunion and there'll be beautiful things, but that's not today. You and I will weep today. The truth is Jesus is showing in this kingdom, it's better than that kingdom, but some of the earth's suffering will fall on you. Some of the earth's suffering, Jesus says, it's gonna rain on the just and the unjust. This is the problem I have with a bent prosperity gospel. I, I believe Jesus, I don't believe Jesus has a poor gospel, but I also believe that you can take and twist a prosperity gospel and say, if I love Jesus enough, I won't ever face tough stuff. That's, a, that's twisted. Like, <laughs> you know, I think Jesus loved God a lot. And he suffered. And the disciples were really, really close. And they had turmoil. And they watched one another die. They watched their brother Stephen stoned to death in the street by by a a, a bunch of people that were against the way. That's not very prosperous. (laughs) But yeah, it is. Because the gospel prospered in the middle of the suffering. Do you know many times your pain becomes a platform? Your pain, as C.S. Lewis said, becomes a megaphone where when you suffer, some of the earth's suffering gets on you and you can't explain it away. And it's okay, it's okay to say, why? Why, what's going on? But thy kingdom come understands that Jesus didn't promise perfection, but he did promise purpose in the middle of my pain. Some of the earth's sufferings will fall on you. When people hate you, guess what? The book of John says it like this, John 18. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. Someone can't stand you and you're just trying to live for Jesus, you're in good company. Jesus knows what it feels like and he's Jesus. So write it down like this, when people hate you, When suffering hits you, you don't have to be destroyed by it on this side of the kingdom. When suffering hits you and you're living for power, recognition, material comfort, and all those things here. When when suffering hits you, you say, where is God? Why is God? There is no God. That's what people say. When you're living in his will be done, his kingdom come And suffering hits you, you're not destroyed by it because you're living in a stronger life with a stronger foundation. Do you remember the scripture in Luke chapter 6? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, they are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. That's someone who hears the word and does it. But look what it says when a flood came. I thought following Jesus and getting into a group and going through starting point and getting a black t-shirt and wearing it to church, I thought everything was gonna get all right. But the flood still came. My wife still got sick. My kid hasn't been healed. The marriage is in trouble. I'm broken living thy kingdom come, knows that you have the foundation in Jesus that when everything is stripped away, he's still there. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The kingdom of God is protected. And the righteous run to it and are safe. So where are we today where are you living? Because I can tell you it's, it's in layers. There are some things my feet are firmly planted in his kingdom come. There are other areas in your pastor's life where I can quickly when someone presses the right button I can live here. I can let anxiety and worry, nerves I can let Issues push me here into the woe kingdom. So how do I access that kingdom? How do I access where Jesus is always king and, I, more and 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 more I live on his side of what he has for me? How do you do it? Accessing his kingdom isn't as easy as just stepping over the line. There is, there is uh, there's a wall here and accessing the kingdom requires a passport. It does. It requires proper documentation. To get into that kingdom, I gotta have a passport. A couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of going with some friends to Mexico. Three or four days, we barely beat the hurricane. The last day, hurricane started coming in, it was nuts, it was crazy, we still flew out. On Spirit Airlines, if you've never, if you've never flown spirit like, let me just say, you have to put your hand through the window and go like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like that's how high class we'd be traveling. Okay. I'm just gonna tell you right now, brush God. I don't even know if they have all the tires on the bottom because it's cheap to fly, but it ain't comfy. Okay. Accessing his kingdom requires a passport. We got into Mexico. And we had to have the right documentation and we had to show someone our passport. You can't just get in because you feel like it. Hey, I was a good person. I got here, I paid my way. No, no, passport, papers. If you don't have it, you can't, go over here, talk to somebody there. They've got some cuffs for you, okay? There's nothing I can do to earn the passport over here. Jesus is the passport. Jesus invades this kingdom and opens the door to his. So now look, look at what Jesus did. Jesus didn't just like toss you a passport over the wall of heaven. Jesus had to pay for it dearly. So, so, so look, you are spiritually rich. If you'll stay poor in spirit, you'll really understand what the riches of heaven are like. And truly, because you're an adopted son or daughter of the king, you are spiritually rich. But blessed are those who are poor in spirit because you don't just all of a sudden use that as your gold coin and your ticket to Willy Wonka. You see it as I need you more and more every single day. You're spiritually rich. Why? Why are you spiritually rich? Because everything you've done, no, because Jesus became poor for you. You are rich because he became poor, he left his throne and took on a manger. He left heaven for a barn and he became poor for you. You can be comforted. Why are you able to be comforted? Because Jesus was crushed. His crucifixion, the same word, the root Greek word that we get excruciating is the same word, you can hear it, excruciating crucifixion. His death was excruciating and he was crushed to powder for you. And you can be comforted knowing that he he took the crushing. You can be satisfied, why? Because Jesus was thirsty. He knows what it's like to hunger and thirst so that you can know what it feels like to be satisfied when you live in his kingdom. You can laugh and rejoice, why? Because your names are written in heaven, why? Because Jesus was a man of sorrows. And he was wounded for you and bruised for you so that you can laugh and rejoice for his joy to be complete. He endured the cross for you. Guess what? You're accepted. Why? Because he was excluded. My God, my God, why have you excluded me? That's what forsaken means. You excluded me. You turned your back on me, what father does that? He doesn't call him father on the cross, he says God, because in that moment, his father, every time he would go to him and pray, he would feel the exhilarating joy and surrender and goodness and love and compassion and mercy that his father is all about. But in this moment, he cries out, my God, my God, and he doesn't feel the joy, and he doesn't know the comfort, and he doesn't feel the compassion, and he's not getting the mercy, why? Because God chose not to pour it out on him. He chose to pour the wrath of God out on Jesus so he could pour the mercy and the grace and the goodness and the forgiveness out on you. That's the difference of the kingdoms. So, our Father, it's the trajectory of personal relationship adopted, heirs to the throne. Hallowed be thy name. Don't see him as useful. See him as beautiful but then weaving the thread of thy kingdom come into prayer. So what, is that, what does that look like? Just saying thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come. Say it too many times, it loses its meaning. So let me give you four things to pray when you pray thy kingdom come. You can pray it Monday and then Tuesday and then Wednesday and then Thursday, just one each. You say our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. This week, I encourage you, just pray to that point. You don't even have to finish the prayer. Thy kingdom come. And then after that, let's weave in understanding of the kingdom into our prayer this week. And on Monday, here's what you could say. Three times, because instead of praying a normal prayer over your meal, why don't you pray the Lord's prayer? Up to thy kingdom come. And then pray one of these, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The first one would be this. Lord, thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you for the hope of heaven. This is a temporary kingdom, thy kingdom come. There is coming a day where everything will be made right. God, you're gonna do good things. I'm trusting you. This is not my eternal home. It's all temporary. Thy kingdom come, no matter who's in the White House, no matter what Congress looks like, no matter what they promise. I know that all those promises are fleeing, but every single one of your promises are yes and amen. And if you said it, I can believe it. I can build my life on it. It's like a contractor building a house on a solid foundation. Foundation, thy kingdom come, Lord. Heaven is real, and you are real. And someday, no matter what I face on this earth, everything's gonna be made right. And I look to the hope of heaven that's praying, thy kingdom come. Second way, second way, Lord. Tuesday, it's Tuesday morning. Lord, I want to m- more and more people to know you. I don't mean know the God. a a big man upstairs. I I, I don't mean, you know, no God, the devil knows God. You can know the name of God, but not know him. What you're saying is more and more, I want people to experience what it's like to live in this kingdom. And you talk to people across the cubicle and you talk to people in your family and you you dialogue on Facebook with people that both feet are deeply planted in this kingdom and, and you you want more and more people just to, oh, just to, it's been paid for. If they would just taste and see, just taste and see that the Lord is good and everything they've been trying to work for, it's, it's not gonna fill them out. It's gonna, it's gonna be empty at some point. But Jesus is satisfied. Jesus quenches that deepest thirst. Lord, I want more and more people to know your kingdom. Lord, let your kingdom go deeper in me. Where are the areas that I still have got a foot planted on this side of woe kingdom? My kingdom, not thy kingdom. And Jesus, is there an area where I need, it's not gonna be perfect because maybe I go Monday through Thursday, but then Friday, I look at Saturday and say, dang it. I live for me. I live for me and my kingdom on Friday. Okay, Jesus, no, 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 no. Go deeper in me. I'm stepping, I'm choosing Saturday. And some of you think you're so far gone. You just been living here for so long. Ain't nothing you could ever do, nothing you've ever done that can keep nothing so wide and so high and so deep and so big. Our God is big and strong and mighty. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing he can't save you from, that can't pull you through, can't walk with you in that's the god we serve that's his kingdom he's the perfect coach let your kingdom go deeper in me finally the fourth prayer when we pray thy kingdom come lord make things right because when you see the kingdom And because it's temporary, and because it's just a shadow, and and the Apostle Paul says, we we are like people looking through a, 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 a foggy, smoky mirror. We can't quite see things. Eventually, everything will be revealed. Eventually, the new heavens and new earth. Eventually, it's heaven. Eventually, everything, like it's unrestrained and his kingdom has completely come. Right now, it's temporary. But there's coming a day. But we still say, Lord, make things right be dissatisfied with those areas in your life, the areas in your family, the areas in this nation that we're living for this kingdom. Make it right, do your justice. Let justice be done because you were wounded and it isn't right. You say, I don't know if I can believe in a God that would give wrath. You don't understand the crucifixion if you don't understand a God that has wrath because his wrath was poured out there instead of onto you. You need the wrath of God and you need Jesus. The truth is, there's still wounds and hurts. God make it right. God, I'm I, I want. I'm gonna live in my kingdom and I'm gonna say exactly what I've been wanting to say to that person and I'm just gonna tell you how I feel and you need to know and I don't care what it does and you're done, out of my life. Don't ever call me again and you're living in this kingdom. You had the power. But over here, you're praying, Lord, make it right. Make it right. My husband doesn't know you. And our marriage is a disaster. And I'm tired of just getting mad at him and just chasing that down. God, make it right. I can't do it. Make it right. That's thy kingdom come when we pray every day. Let me finish with this thought. I'm done with this. You and I are mesmerized by kings and kingdoms. We are. We are. I mean, from the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and the Magic Kingdom and the Animal Kingdom to kingdoms of the universe. <laughs> he man. I'm going, taking it way back. To Star Wars, the battle for the Republic, to Lord of the Rings, to the Chronicles of Narnia, we're mesmerized by kings and kingdoms. Why is that? Why, why, why are we so like, are so thirsty for that? Because it's really the story of God when you really think about it. There is a kingdom, it was perfect. The king left and in his absence, there's chaos. And the people are not as healthy wealthy or wise without the king. And in that absence, there is this enemy that would love to come in and take rule, and take over, and darken the doors of the kingdom, and shut the drapes, and dim the kerosene lamps, and, and his evil would pour out over that land, and everybody suffers when the wrong person's on the throne.
1: And everybody
0: around their dinner tables, barely surviving on the bread and the stew, they're waiting for some day that the true king would come, that the true king would come and make everything right, that the true king would come and grab that imposter by the nap of the neck and throw him out and take over his throne yet again. We're mesmerized by kings and kingdoms. And you know, there's another kingdom that maybe you haven't thought about unless you have small little kiddos, or maybe you were a kiddo yourself the last time you've been thinking about this kingdom. And it's the kingdom of Humpty Dumpty. (laughs) You guys remember Humpty Dumpty. The truth is, it wasn't until the book, uh, Alice in Wonderland, or that story of Alice in Wonderland that Humpty was personified as an egg. The real story is the whole rhyme, the nursery rhyme. um, Humpty Dumpty sat on a, and Humpty Dumpty had a great, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. I love the personification of this with an egg, with a person, because really the whole story is about a large cannon that in the middle of a war, that cannon was known as Humpty Dumpty and the cannon fell off the wall and all the king's horses and men couldn't put it together and they lost that battle and they were able to barricade, you know, push against the wall and they, and they won. They, they lost that battle. But I love the humanity piece of egg, Humpty. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. The end, let's pray goodbye. What? What nursery rhyme ends like this? I hate it. I hate it. It's like, so, okay, kids, couldn't put Humpty together again. Night, night, sweet dreams. All your dreams will probably be shattered in the future. What? What? No, don't, 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 don't do that. Okay. So you know what I thought? Humpty deserves an alternate ending. My man Humpty, he's not gotten a fair shake. And I know that this is what you envision your pastor doing with his work week but I have written an alternate ending to Humpty Dumpty. You're welcome America. (laughs) All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. There Humpty was in pain, bruised and broken. Little did Humpty know the last word had yet been spoken. It wasn't over for Humpty, no, not at all. Because the king himself had seen Humpty fall. The king leapt from his throne and went right to the wall, to the very place Humpty was broken and all. And Humpty was embarrassed. He tried to explain why he fell, The king wasn't there to rehash the past. The king came to make Humpty well. The king said, Humpty, the reason my horses and men couldn't fix you, because that's my job. I'm the one who restores you. And right there in that moment, without hesitation, King healed Humpty beyond Humpty's own expectation. Now, listen to me, listen to me. You and I are broken people. And if you expect the kingdom of this world to fix you, You don't have to even pick up the pieces. You, you don't even have to to put it in a backpack and try and get to the wall of the palace. Jesus left heaven and met you in your brokenness, and He doesn't just glue you back together. He He transforms you into a new creation. If if that's the king who can rule, can we all say, thy kingdom come. Would you close your eyes and pray with me, all locations. believe Jesus is doing some surgery in some hearts right now. I believe maybe there's some some tears that have been stirred, and it's way beyond an alternate ending for Humpty because you are broken, and you realize you're stuck in the wrong kingdom, but you are not abandoned. You do not have to be a prisoner in that kingdom. He who the Son sets free. free indeed. And so if you're in the sound of my voice online in Nacogdoches there at one of our prisons right here in Lufkin, maybe you'd say, Jesus, I'm tired of living for that kingdom. Like there's things that I'm afraid of. And so I just go over there and I live on that side. I'm sick of it. I, I want your kingdom come, your will be done. And it's not gonna be easy, it's it's gonna be hard and I'm a little scared. Jesus, thank you that I don't have to be strong. You're strong for me in that. And I lean into you today, not on my own understanding. For some of you, you need to say, Jesus, I step off the throne of my heart. Be my Lord and savior and king. I am a terrible king for myself. My kingdom has tarnished. My kingdom has crumbled underneath my rule. And I give you authority. I give you the throne. Be my Lord and savior and be my king. For those of you that are in the room and you say, I've been living for my kingdom. I don't, I don't want to be, but I, I, I find myself doing that, but I want his kingdom come. If that's you, just put a hand up in the air. Let me pray for you. Right there in Nacogdoches, let me pray for you. I, I've got my hand raised too. Jesus, for the times that we've, we have increased and you have decreased, we flip it around today. You must increase, we must decrease. Thank you for giving us the grace and the truth. The truth to know what side of the line we're gonna live on, what side of the kingdom we're on and the grace that you meet us right where we are and you give us access to your kingdom. Now I pray that you would bless the people of your kingdom. Bless the hearts whose thrones are filled with the king of the king of the kings. We ask it in Jesus' name and everybody said amen.